Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing their services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, Hura Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. So Megan, welcome. Thanks. Yeah, you're wel- <laughs> welcome. Thanks for coming. It, uh, it's good to have you here. There's, I have no idea about you, so it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I think Darcy probably knows you better than I do. And <laughs> That's uh, also very minimal because yeah. I met you at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Michelle knows you better than me, but then, better than us. Yeah. Heather knows you even better. But I also don't know her very well. <laughs> I've met her like twice. <laughs> but yeah, I know Heather a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us about yourself. Um, so I am... Uh, born and raised, mostly raised in Calgary. Um, I lived in Venezuela in the United States for about six years from age like three to nine Mm -hmm. and then moved back to Calgary with my family. Um, so I think that, uh, living in Venezuela when I was about five, um, that gave me a lot of really valuable perspective because, um, even though we live, like my dad is retired now, but he was an engineer. So we lived in like an mm-hmm. expat community, uh, that was very much unlike, uh, the other communities there. And so my mom, like, I have a memory of my mom taking me and my brother to, um, the areas where there was like the, there was no windows or doors. It was just like mud floors, uh, and we brought food and stuff there. And I still mm-hmm. have that. I don't have many memories from when I was a kid, but that one sticks out a lot. And I think that that was uh, really valuable for me at a young age, just mm-hmm. giving me some perspective of what the world is like and how lucky I was. Um, and yeah, so um, I grew up mostly in Calgary and from like in a upper middle class neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, pretty like easy like very privileged life um my brother is adopted and he had a lot of struggles from that growing up and uh he we had an like an open adoption with his birth Mm -hmm. family and so um i'm actually like close with his birth family still um and we would see them a few times a year sometimes more than even like my mom or dad's side of the family Mm -hmm. and um so that was an interesting dynamic especially for my brother it was really hard for him because when he was a teenager um his birth mom got married and then started having kids of her own Mm -hmm. and so that was really tough on him because he felt very much like abandoned i think and uh replaced kind of uh because him and his birth mom were super close before Mm -hmm. that um 
yeah so watching him struggle growing up he like is he's lucky because he uh didn't get into as much trouble as he could have Mm -hmm. um and so seeing like and he's a really good person he's Mm -hmm. a great kid he always was and he just had a lot of he just went through a lot of stuff like he got bullied really badly he had some an incident when he was in junior high i think it was that um the police got involved and uh that was the only time that he got in trouble like Mm -hmm. real trouble with the cops um but obviously i knew him before he was like you know getting into trouble and i think that that gave me a passion for helping people that were like him Mm -hmm. um or trying to change the narrative around yeah uh people who are struggling basically because especially people who the rest of society might see as like a criminal or like Mm -hmm. a bad guy or whatever or like um an outsider like because i know my brother and i know he's he's so much more than that um and so that is i think that's how i got became um attracted to the social service sector Mm -hmm. so i uh majored in journalism in university and i did my internship not at a news outlet uh but at horizon housing society yeah um this was back in 2011 or 2012 i think Mm -hmm. and um that was kind of like my first taste of uh seeing what calgary was really like beyond this like very suburban sheltered Mm -hmm. uh upbringing that i had and i remember the first so i'd been working in that sector for a couple years i think when i the first time that i ever heard about residential schools was when i was i would have been 25 or 26 i think Mm -hmm. And I'm 31 now. So that's not very long that yeah. I've known about this. No, for sure. And I was shocked that this stuff had happened in this, like, supposedly amazing country where it's so multicultural and equal and all that sort of thing. And, you know, my social studies teacher in high school was like, you know, I learned all these things about Canada that it turns out are not true mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's only the partial truth yeah partial and truth. yeah and i really do feel like i like there's i remember being in social studies class in high school and thinking oh the east of canada is bad they don't like us the west is best conservative conservative is the best mm-hmm. way to go um i just didn't know any better yeah but once i started working in the homeless sector and the social service sector it really opened my eyes to mm-hmm. uh the reality of what's going on in our city and at first i was like i when i was working in the homeless sector i saw so many indigenous people who didn't have homes and i this was before i really learned about residential school and the trauma like intergenerational trauma and how that can lead to issues like homelessness and so it so i was just confused because i'm like well you can't just you know it's not just like indigenous people are just lazy or whatever Mm. that's because that's just not how humanity works so there's obviously like something bigger at play here Mm -hmm. and then when i I learned about residential schools and how like trauma can be passed through generations and Mm. it changes the way that people's brain is wired and all that sort of thing i was like oh i i had a better understanding now of what was going on and that kind of that was like the the moment that 
changed things for me and my career trajectory um, because I didn't really know what I was still pretty fresh out of school. Like I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but then I was like, no, this is like, I want to use my communication skills to draw attention to these massive issues Mm -hmm. that like are faced by basically entire communities and no one seems to give a shit. Like no one in power seems to give a shit, which Mm -hmm. is really messed up. Um, And so, yeah, so I've been working at a a nonprofit for the last couple years now where we work with people who are involved in crime and try and Mm -hmm. help them make positive changes. And a huge percentage of our clients are indigenous, I think about like 40%. Um, And it's like, yes, they have committed crimes or Mm -hmm. have been involved in criminal behavior, whatever, but that doesn't make them bad people. Mm -mm. It is because of all these like social issues that have been caused by colonialism, Mm -hmm. by residential schools, by the child welfare system, Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously also ongoing racism Mm -hmm. that exists across all institutions here. Um, so that's been uh, a very eye-opening for me as well, working in this area. And I, I'm very fortunate in that I get to um, interview our clients for mm-hmm. store. Like I write kind of success stories for, say, our annual report, or we yeah. have a project called "I Am More Than My Criminal Record." And so there's peop- we have lots of different people um, that share their personal stories from their own perspective and their personal journeys and where they came from and where they're at now Mm -hmm. um basically to show who they truly are and the goal of that project is to reduce the stigma towards people with criminal records um and so it's been it's been really interesting and enlightening for me and eye-opening to talk to these people because Mm -hmm. um you know it's they're they're really not that different from me but they had a lot shittier luck than I did Mm -hmm. Um, and just had like really awful things happen in their lives that it's very clear that trauma is almost always the very, very root of these Mm -hmm. so-called criminal behaviors. Um, And that trauma was not their fault. And um, one of the things that I have learned through my work here is that Um, there's a bunch of brain research that Mm -hmm. shows that uh, trauma, especially during childhood and especially repetitive trauma, it literally physically changes the way that the Mm -hmm. brain is wired. So that kind of puts people into like constant fight or flight mode, I think. And, um, and which can result in those kind of like, you know, angry outbursts or panic Mm -hmm. attacks or whatever, if you like, get really drunk and then something comes out that you wouldn't normally do when you're sober or whatever. Um, and I totally get that because like I have had obsessive compulsive disorder Mm -hmm. since I was uh, a kid. I'm maybe like nine or 10. Mm -hmm. Um, and thankfully like it's, I like, it's pretty mild now. I grew out of a lot of it, but still deal with a lot of anxiety and I've, uh, dealt with depression and stuff too. And so I, I understand how being in that constant fight or flight mm-hmm. mode could change your behavior. Um, how could it not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause you're not really like in control of what you're doing when you're mm-hmm. in that like 
panic mode. You're never coming from a comfortable place. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And and a lot of the people that we work with, those um, behaviors are also there's addiction issues that contribute to that as well, which is is about self-medicating because mm -hmm. of the trauma. So yeah. um, to me, like when we're talking about crime prevention and, you know, I there's all this discussion about defunding the police mm -hmm. and better ways to prevent crime. And I'm like, why is no one talking about trauma? I know. Like I and, and there are some obviously like, some people. Yeah, are, yeah, some groups are and stuff. Yeah. But when it comes to the media and the cops and I'm just it just seems so glaringly obvious mm -hmm. but I know that's because of your when you work in the sector you yeah. just see it everywhere yeah. but it, to me it just seems so glaringly obvious that it's like okay so like a lot of this crime is happening mm -hmm. that is property crime and that's usually to do with addiction mm -hmm. And addiction is usually because of trauma. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm like, if, if we just look at the very root issues, mm -hmm. we don't need law enforcement as much. That's a good point. And I agree with you. I agree with you. I think part of the problem is, um, is that even amongst doctors, there's no agreement, mm. right? Like about the trauma issue. Mm -hmm. Now, those of us who work with people in the field, we know trauma is a part of it. Mm -hmm. There's no question. I don't yeah. care what studies you've done um, or haven't done. But even like, there's doctors that still don't believe in psychiatry. There's doctors that still don't mm -hmm. believe that that's like real medicine or science, right? Like, how could we possibly get the police to agree on one thing? Yeah, you can't even get true. doctors who are supposedly the smartest people on the planet to agree on things, right? Yeah, that's there's, very true. There's still a percentage of doctors that don't think addiction's an illness or that it's a thing. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's, totally. It's a moral um, failing for lots of people still. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah I, I think it's an uphill battle. Oh, but, for sure. But where you're, where you're at, you're involved in part of this process, right? Like in terms of the defunding the police. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'm, I've been um, volunteering with the Canadian Cultural Mosaic Foundation for a couple years now. Uh, and our focus is uh, reducing racism through uh, education, like multicultural education, mm -hmm. technology, and the arts. Um, and and uh, the Mosaic Foundation is also a member of the Defund to Fund Coalition. And mm -hmm. so I've been um, working with the coalition and different members to create uh, like blog posts with more information and... Um, they were working with a group called Project Calgary, which has been really awesome. And they're kind of helping us like we've got a petition together um, on the Project Calgary site and uh, lots of like really good information mm -hmm. that a bunch of different volunteers are working on. And are uh, I don't know if he's like officially called the chair, but he should be because <laughs> he's the one that's organizing everything. Mm -hmm. But Courtney Walcott, he's kind of our leader in this movement. And um, he's been awesome. Like he's uh, had some really good media interviews and he's a high school teacher mm -hmm. and he sees all the stuff that's going on in, in the, in the classroom and with yeah. students and all that sort of thing. And he's been really, really awesome to work with. Um, so yeah. So my thoughts on defunding the police, there's a lot of misconceptions mm -hmm. out there um, that defunding between like defunding abolition and like reallocating. And there's mm -hmm. all these different words and people are upset about them. Well, of but, course, because nobody really understands. Yeah, exactly. Again. Yeah. So in the Calgary context, what we would like to see is 
uh, reallocation of the Calgary Police budget to address things that the Calgary Police are not supposed to be addressing, yeah. or rather, they're not trained experts. Yeah. So things like mental health calls that mm-hmm. do not require a police presence, which I believe is about 40% of their calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and say like homelessness um, and uh, other like vulnerable yeah. issues like mental health and, or I already mentioned that one, sorry, substance use and that sort of thing. Um, and if you look at their, like the officer statistical contact reports, there's a very, very small percentage of the the contacts that they have with public that actually have weapons. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 3%. And I think that was for 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very small. That sounds about right though. Yeah. Um, but then 30% of their calls were related to mental health. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's the percentage that we chose. Um, for the budget reallocation to gotcha. ask for. Um, and they're doing it, aren't they? Not 30%. 3%, right? Um, Was it three? It, we, so Councillor Woolley had uh, put a notice of motion forward for 5% okay. over two years. And then there was also a statement from the Calgary Police Commission that had 4%. And I can't remember the exact details oh, okay. of it, okay. but none of it's official yeah, yet. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's not official yet. Yeah. The budget deliberations start on November 23rd. Okay. And so I plan on uh, speaking at those uh, as well. That's promising though, right? Totally, totally. Because a year ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I I know that like there are people who have been doing this work way longer than I have mm-hmm. even been aware of racism as an issue. Um, and so I totally get why people are frustrated because they're like, mm. we've been literally waiting for this to happen for our entire lives. Of course. Um, I personally feel pretty hopeful about this mm-hmm. uh, small percentage. It will not fix the issue, obviously, yeah. but I think it gives us the chance. I shouldn't say us is in the coalition because uh, it wouldn't necessarily be us that's yeah. taking on these calls. Yeah. Uh, but I do feel confident that if if this is done in the right way with the right people, with the right expertise, mm-hmm. um, it could be very successful. And yeah. if we have really good data on the success, then that's, am- mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to say ammo, <laughs> but that's evidence that we can yeah. use to say, look, like this worked. And I, I'm pretty certain that it would also save money because police are expensive. Yeah. Uh, if you're like bringing your armored vehicle to every like <laughs> mm-hmm. incident or event that you're going to, like that's a lot of money. I uh, well, if you bring and if you bring um, if you bring vehicles, just police vehicles to a call. Mm-hmm. If you take it to a mental health call and there's four vehicles there, that could be upwards of eight officers. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a lot of mu- it's a lot of manpower, a lot of cop yeah. power, right? I I kind of laughed because I think it was in. January or February, um, I was just watching TV in my living room with my roommate and my dog just starts losing it. And I'm like, what is going on? I look outside and there's like this big SWAT guy, like Mm. in our front yard with this big gun and stuff. And there's like, 
an armored vehicle in the street and like the SWAT guys like everywhere else in the yards and stuff and they're like come out with you your guys live up. in Sonalta or uh in in Ogden actually yeah <laughs> I've seen that police tank in Sonalta like four times I yeah think. They, they're yeah. in Ogden a lot too <laughs> um but they were like they were arresting our next door neighbors mm. who were in the basement suite and it's like these two like I don't know they were like probably like 120 pound guys. Like mm -hmm. I could have taken them down by myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just kind of laughing because they have like their armored vehicle mm -hmm. and their like megaphone and all these guys with their big guns. And I was just like, I mean, you could just pay me that money and I'll just do it. It's like, yeah, until you get in the house and realize that both of them are armed. Yeah, I, right? they came out no problem yeah. though. So of course they did. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a tank there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they, you know, I just, I, I. Really... I'm not suggesting the tank is is worth it. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I just, I just think it's funny because mm -hmm. I just, yeah. I don't know if it's if that's necessary all the time. I would agree 100%, with you. 100. There's going to be times where where it is necessary. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know that it is right. Yeah. Like I think the. It's just that not being in that house, we wouldn't know, right? But totally, yeah. we could easily say, well, yeah, but if you pull up in front of my house with a tank, I'm coming out too. Yeah. Like my hands are <laughs> yeah, going to be yeah, up. Yeah, like, totally. I don't even care if I am armed. I'm not yeah. coming out with a gun if you got a tank. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Totally, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I guess it does that. So. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. that's okay, yeah. And I kind of, like, I, I figured that they were, that our neighbors were probably involved in drugs mm -hmm. some way because uh, they had different people coming and going yeah. a lot but they were they never it didn't affect me in any way so like i mm -hmm. was like do your thing but you know what <laughs> one thing i don't want to skip over is how traumatic that is for you as a neighbor um like what do you think what do you think when that happens and there's a tank and and armed men standing around your house um I would honestly be like way more afraid of the cops than i would about my like skinny neighbors your neighbors yeah making whatever they're making down there yeah. <laughs> yeah because you don't know and like it doesn't affect you yeah right? exactly yeah. yeah and like um i i just when i think about this like tank and all these guys mm -hmm. with guns and they like that's probably traumatic for these guys too because i don't yeah. think that these two guys got into drugs because <laughs> they're they you know like most of them are users yeah and yeah. That is probably because they've been traumatized at some point in their life, probably multiple times. And mm. here's just like yet another thing where wouldn't it be great if we could support these two guys in some mm. way so that they didn't feel like they had to do that stuff yeah. to live a, a, have a good quality of life. Yeah. And, and what would have changed the context there is if you saw two maybe uniformed officers with a couple of other people that weren't in uniform who looked a little bit more friendly and weren't carrying guns. Yeah, totally. Like yeah. a mix, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. like I like I could have easily just like rang their doorbell one day and be like, hey, uh, like come outside. Yeah. You know, like they're not going to do anything <laughs> to me. I just think there's so many better ways to deal with this stuff. Yeah. Obviously, there's there's going to be times where uh, there is a need for mm. an, an armed officer or maybe not, maybe not an armed officer, yeah. but some sort of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I get that for sure. But, but I, but I think that it's few and far between mm -hmm. when compared to nonviolent calls. Yep. And, um, and once we actually address these root issues that are leading people to commit the crimes in the mm -hmm. first place, we don't 
need as many officers. So it's kind of, I think it's got to be like a a transition Mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. Uh, Because obviously, like, if we have like really good healthcare and really good Mm -hmm. affordable housing and really good uh, like uh, employment opportunities for all the people that are marginalized mm-hmm. and accessible um, mental health counseling, yes. addictions work, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Until we have that, like for a while, mm-hmm. it's obviously like it's not going to change right away. Of course, got to be over time. Yeah. Um, but do you think that'll happen? Do you think it's more likely? Because I do. I think it's more likely to happen over time if we do the three percent then 3%, then 4% or 5% of that budget is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Gradually yeah. taking more of that budget away from from the police where they don't want to do it anyway. Like they don't want to go to check on welfare mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. I assure you, I've been with officers and they're like not wanting to do it. Yeah. Um, but, and there's all those other calls they don't want to do anyway. And that really, they're it's not for them to do. Like it was never for them to do, but they were made to do it. Yeah, right? and, totally. And I mean, it'd be kind of like putting someone without any training of doing a home visit and sending them on a home visit. You're going to be terrified. Yeah. And chances <laughs> are you're not going to feel comfortable you're, because you don't know what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but teaching, I was like, have you been sitting in on any of the police commission stuff or? Um, I Here and there when yeah. I've had time, yeah. Yeah, like I found out that they don't, they do like an hour of ethics in all their training. Like in, an hour. Oh, in the police training. Yeah, in the police training. They spend an hour on ethics. That seems, seems uh, very sufficient. That seems legit, right? <laughs> like, you don't have to understand the ethics of the law to enforce it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you do. I yeah. think you really need to know the, the nuances of the laws to, understand, mm-hmm. to be able to enforce that stuff, right? Totally, yeah. I, I was blown away. Who was it that told us that? I can't remember, but I remember you telling me. Yeah, I, can't, I thought it was, it came out on the podcast, and, and one of the officers said, because I asked jokingly, thinking there was going to be zero. Yeah. And the officer actually made it worse by saying maybe an hour. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, six months of training, an hour of ethics before you put hands on a human being. Yeah. Right. And that's even better. That hour of the police gets way better than what transit gets. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> transit doesn't get anything about ethics. Well, I worked for them. Oh, okay. It was uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's definitely a huge issue for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, I was actually looking today, I was looking up different policing systems mm-hmm. across the world and was reading up about the policing system in Finland. And they their officers have to have a, they can get a master's in policing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so obviously there's just like way more training that goes into it. And, and obviously it's a different country, a different culture, mm-hmm. like, Totally different history. Totally get that. Well, and we have to make sure we point this out too. They they were never claimed to be racist there either. Yeah, so. yeah, totally. Yeah, and like our the literal foundation yeah. of all our just everything to do with our justice system is all like systemically racist. Exactly. Yeah, that's like a people can try and debate that, but like if you yeah. actually break it down and look at it, that's a non debatable fact. It's yeah, <laughs> it's like so obvious. Eh, yeah, when you look yeah, at it. yeah, yeah. Um, we literally don't like those people there. That's yeah. what they're pointing out. Right? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's there's other options. There's other mm-hmm. models. It's not like we just have to like you know come up with some new innovative idea on our own. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of uh, smart people out there and that can do research and look at what will mm-hmm. work for Calgary. They're smarter than I am, <laughs> and I, I can even that. do some googling. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I feel confident that if you know, as long, and 
I'm the defund to fund coalition will be involved Mm -hmm. um, every step of the way, which is super important. Um, Especially, I think, like we've discussed the potential opportunities that could exist with this. Well, it's going to be $10 million Mm -hmm. for the first for 2021 that would go into this, uh, be part of the reallocation. Yeah. And it's super, super, super important that whatever these social services look like, Mm -hmm. they should be led by the members of the community for their community. So it shouldn't be a bunch of white people leading this stuff. Like it's that will just... Thank God that's changing. Yeah. And that will just perpetuate more of the same issues. And um, especially with, I think, like relying on social workers is also could potentially have be problematic as well it's because there's a huge, huge link uh, between uh, people that spend time in foster care and people who end up in the prison system mm-hmm. because of the trauma of being separated from your parents, uh, the trauma that many kids go through, um, yeah. abuse, neglect, all that sort of stuff. Um, I know where I work, like Mm -hmm. I've met maybe one client who wasn't in foster care. Um, and we do have a halfway house and, Mm. um, I had asked the manager of the halfway house, uh, what percentage of, of residents did she think had been Mm -hmm. in foster care? And she said probably all of them, Yeah, which is very telling. Very telling. Um, and I think there's... Like, I think in, there is some awareness of that link mm-hmm. and it, in definitely in the indigenous community, yeah. but I think in like outside the indigenous community, there's not a ton of discussion about that, but mm-hmm. it's a very, very clear, direct link. Yeah. Like there, uh, I read an article last year, I think it was that found that half of the people in Canadian prisons were abused as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think the general population, the rate for that is half of that. Yeah. So it's quite significant. That is significant. Yeah. And, um, and it, like half is probably an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a conversation with a detective who works in, um, uh, what the child advocacy center. Mm-hmm. And he, said that he thinks the number would be way higher. Yeah. Way, way higher. I would think so too. Yeah. But I, I mean, half is still, even as a conservative number, that's a lot. Totally, yeah. yeah. And I think p- some people might not even realize that they were abused too. Exactly. And they might not, if it's something seems so normal to them, yeah. they might not even realize that that's abuse. So yeah. um, that's a another huge, huge issue that mm-hmm. I think needs to be discussed way more. Um, so you yeah. mentioned social workers. So th- it's true. So social workers have a history just like the RCMP does with when it comes to indigenous, the indigenous population. Yeah. Um, like the only way I see it is being like, because everyone keeps saying, oh, I'll give it to social workers. I'm a social worker. Like, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't, I'm busy enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. well the, the idea is though, you've got to separate it from the government social workers. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Because the, the government social workers that work for child welfare or the rest of the government, um, the child and family services, whatever they call it, um, those social workers are not going to be fucking helpful. 
And why are they not going to be helpful? Because they work for the government, the yeah. same government that employs the police, that employs the RCMP. It's not going to be helpful. Yeah. Right. And that system, from what I've heard, is I don't know if corrupt is the I think it's a good word. The <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good word. Yeah. I, I, I hate to use it as well. But I mean, we, we could use the same word and I'll use it loosely. I don't want to get too excited because <laughs> I have a notion of doing that. But with the RCMP as well, right? Oh, it's 100%. corrupt. Oh, it's 100%. corrupted. And yeah. even if it's not corrupted in the sense that people might think of corruption today, it's been corrupted from its root, mm-hmm. right? Agreed, from the yeah. minute it started until now, it's been corrupted. And so it has to be like a root canal. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. 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 And with the like the social workers that who I know uh, that work in the nonprofit sector mm. are mostly great. Like, oh, yeah, lot, usually. Yeah. yeah. It's usually the like government yeah. side of it where I hear about the issues. Um, and yeah, with the whole like they've been taking away uh, kids from their mm. like indigenous kids from their parents in many cases unwarranted. Um, and so, yeah, that, that you relying on that system would also be problematic, but I think in like, in my mind, in an ideal world, there could be a new organization that's, or several new organizations that are led by, by these communities Mm -hmm. for these communities so that they're interacting with people who are from their communities Mm -hmm. and, uh, the organizations are led by people Mm -hmm. from those communities who really understand those issues. And sure, it can be like, there could be all kinds of different people from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. that that are employed there. But I think the important part is that it needs to be led by the communities because they get it. They have that lived Mm -hmm. experience of racism that someone like me will never have. And same here. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Like, I mean, you say five years ago was when you realized or, or learned more about uh, residential schools. Well, that was about the same for me, right? And I'm in my 40s, so you don't have to feel bad. Like, yeah. It was, I mean, I didn't know sweet F all about it until I met, like, well, it was Heather and then Darcy and Michelle. And then I started to have my eyes opened and realize how privileged I'd been. Like, yeah, just, yeah. I was so privileged, I didn't even have to think about it. Like, that's how privileged I was, right? 100%, like, yeah. And, and, so I can, I feel that from you as well, right? Where you, we kind of like get, we, I got wound up right away because I'm like, how the fuck is the last residential school just closed in 96? How does that happen in this Canada? I'm pretty sure that there, there was a, I don't know if it was the last one, but there were, I, um, near my house was the only one in Calgary, I think. Okay. I remember reading that at some point. What was it called? Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, I, I don't even, I don't know what they're called here. Anyway, but <laughs> like, it was so funny. Well, I went, we went in the summer to, um, what was that, St. Eugene Mission? Yeah, St. Eugene Mission in by Cranbrook. And oh, okay. it, it was done on a, res, it's, it's a residential mm-hmm. school. And I, I would not recommend anyone goes and visits these places. Even though, yeah. like, I understand that this specific mission, turning that school into a mission, cut the, the band in half. So there was half that were for it and half, of course, mm. that were against it. I'd be surprised if it was more than half who were against it because I am a white human and I walked in there and just about got sick. Yeah. Like you, I could feel it as I walked up the stairs, right? Like, um, and part of it's from getting all the information over the last few years, but also part of it's because that, that sticks there. Yeah. Like you can feel it there, right? Totally, like, yeah. Um, and so as in terms of... Um, 
Yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm just, it's like that, that's what happens to me. When this shit comes up, Darcy just starts laughing. He's like, oh yeah, he's going to start yelling in a minute. Catholic church, rah! Oh, don't, I will be right there with you. I went to Catholic school and... Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, having OCD in Catholic school is not a fun time. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's, you, I literally thought that like every single thing would make me go to hell. Oh. Every single thing. Like even just like if I didn't pick up like like a piece of garbage off the floor mm. if I saw it or something like that. Like yeah. literally I thought, I'm like, oh, just in case, just in case. Yeah. Um, but just in case. yeah, but once I, like once I got a little bit older and also I have an aunt who's a lesbian. And so mm. when I like, and I think she came out when I was maybe around 12 or so. And so when my religion te teachers started to say like, like homosexuality is a sin yeah. and you like gay marriage is wrong and whatever, I was like, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I gotta ask some yeah. questions here. That yeah. seem I right. got kicked out of a lot of religion classes. <laughs> Excellent. Those yeah. are good things to get kicked out for. Yeah. But I was I wanted to mention so mm. um with the residential schools and having yeah. that, you can like really sense that something happened there. Mm. I went to Alabama in uh last December. Oh Jesus. And I wanted to go see the uh I think it's called the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. Mm. Um, it had the reason I actually oh, found I out. Just got <laughs> oh yeah. The reason, the way that I found out about it actually was in Architecture Digest. The mm -hmm. Calgary Library was one of their top anticipated buildings, and then this memorial was also on that same list. Yeah. Um, and coincidentally, I didn't know this at the time, but I'd been reading this book called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, and um, I found out just before I was going to Alabama that his a uh, nonprofit law firm that he started, the Equal mm -hmm. Justice Initiative, actually made this, like they funded this museum, like oh, they wow. own it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, I don't know if you saw the movie Just Mercy, but it was based on his, mm. his memoir. Mm -hmm. um, and so that the movie came out around the same time that I was in Alabama. So it was oh, wow. like, yeah, so it was kind of cool just how that, how it all came together. But anyway, yeah. So I did a, a week long road trip through Alabama and stop Montgomery was one of the places that oh. we stopped. And yeah, it's like I the birthplace, man. Yeah, it was, I've never been anywhere where that kind of that it's just palpable. Mm -hmm. Like, I was really happy that I went there, but I was super excited to leave because yeah. I was like, I didn't, it just felt gross. Right. Um, especially, so the memorial is beautiful. Mm -hmm. They did a really amazing job of it. Uh, I learned a lot about stuff. Like I had a pretty good knowledge at that mm -hmm. point of uh, the history of slavery and that sort of thing, yeah. but I still did learn a lot of stuff that was very horrific and uh, yeah, just the stuff that mm. went on there was just horrible. Um, but when you contrast that with exploring parts of the city that are, uh, I assume the government is responsible for, mm. um, like there was this fountain that we, I was with my cousin. Mm. Um, there was a fountain that we went to and there was a, there, it was downtown and there's a bunch of signs saying like 18 whatever this is the place of this or whatever so this fountain it said uh the hub of commerce in 18 whatever mm -hmm. and there was a fellow who was kind of hanging around that area 
and we started chatting with him and he explained that actually uh, under that fountain was where they kept all the enslaved people. Oh, geez. Um, yet the Alabama government is still calling it the hub of commerce. There was no mention of slavery or anything in, yeah. their, in their signage, which I was like, that's horrible mm -hmm. like you like and you could tell like you could definitely sense the racism yeah. there and like wit it was like pretty obvious and to be honest like I was like oh this is you know kind of like what I see happening in Alberta sometimes <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't really a whole lot different yeah. you know they're just more they're just more unapologetic about mm -hmm. it there um I think in in Canada we do it in a polite way yeah. so it's not as obvious yeah it's a polite <laughs> it's a polite genocide as opposed, yeah. as opposed to the yeah. like we're gonna kill you it's like we might kill you yeah in a like and we will kill you yeah. we'll just pretend that we're not doing it and yeah. say we're trying to help you the whole time <laughs> well yeah we've kind of embraced the apartheid right we've kind of yeah. embraced the or embraced the apartheid approach to it right yeah which is sickening yeah right? like, um actually i found this out fairly recently that South Africa actually, I think they came to Canada or mm -hmm. they, they modeled their apartheid off of the Indian Act. Which That's is, what I heard, yeah. Yeah, I read it in, a, in this really good book that a friend of Michelle's actually um, uh, told me about. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, my dad's a huge history buff. Yeah. Uh, he thinks he knows all the history about everything. Yeah. And I like told him this and he was like, no way. Yeah. I was like, I'll find, I'll Google this and send mm -hmm. you something. And I always do that with him too. Like, uh, oh, well, there's something recently that I told him about. Oh, it was something to do with the Orange Order of Canada mm. um, and how it was like this. I It was on a Canada Land episode, I think. And it was like a uh, started out as a white supremacist organization mm -hmm. that John A. McDonald was part of and a bunch of oh, other politicians. shocking. Yeah, right? <laughs> and they were... It, it sounded like they were almost like the KKK. I was of just Canada, thinking that. Although I, the KKK was in Canada yeah, too, but like the Clan of the North, eh? Yeah. yeah. And I like sent this to my dad because I'm like, oh, he'll find this interesting. He likes history, and all he responded was, he like found some random guy on some random blog that was trying to discredit the the producer of Canada Land, saying that he was like fake news or whatever. I was like, that's not relevant to this conversation, but okay. <laughs> but at least you could find somebody doing it from their van. Yeah. That yeah. was almost convincing. Yeah. Almost, <laughs> almost. But yeah, he, I, I, I understand though. Cause he's like, uh, grew up thinking mm -hmm. certain things and thinking the world was a certain way. So I'm yeah. sure it's quite to be 64 and to learn that the world is actually, or not, not necessarily the world, but your country, uh, is very different than yeah. what you thought it was. Well, yeah, like very different, right? And from my parents too, like they had no idea. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, my mom, she's from Saskatchewan. She's on a farm in Saskatchewan. What did she know about racism or race? Like all she knew was what she knew there because they didn't have satellite TVs or they weren't listening yeah. to American satellite radio. Like they had no idea. Yeah. And, and I get that, I mean, but now we have no excuse. Totally, yeah. Right? My, my parents are both from Saskatchewan mm. as well. Uh, my mom, who's also retired now, but she was a teacher. And mm -hmm. so she has a lot, like, I, th I, feel, I think that teachers, they just interact with so many people and yeah. see so much 
that like, I just, I don't know. They are, I think that teachers are very good indicators of what's going on in society Mm -hmm. and the issues that exist, especially because if you can get to the, like, to people when they're kids Mm -hmm. and support them in whatever way they need to be supported, there's a much uh, greater chance that they'll be healthy adults. So I always appreciate um, the input Mm -hmm. of teachers who, especially my mom, like my mom and I, I helped her out in her class a few times Mm -hmm. too. And she was like such a rock star teacher. She was just like really, really Mm -hmm. good at that job, but she's got a pretty good understanding of, and knowledge of, of that world. Uh, whereas my dad who worked in oil and gas his whole life with Mm -hmm. a bunch of other white dudes, mostly, except for when we were in Venezuela, obviously. (laughs) So, but he, he's, he can be pretty open-minded too, but Mm -hmm. he's just a bit more stubborn. So it takes a bit more time to, but it's, it must be hard, right? Like it must be hard to all of a sudden be told stuff that was, it's completely contrary to what you were told. Yeah. Right. Like, and for like, for my, for some, sometimes the, our gener, the parents' generation, especially with weed, right? Like Mm. the cannabis thing, that was really hard for lots of people to get their head around. And I, I I won't blame them because it was hard for me too. Like I was told one thing too in Mm. my whole life, like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) not that I ever really believed it because I enjoyed it. Um, but it was definitely there. And now it's like when you see people smoking or whatever, like I think my mom, she just thought everybody was going to be smoking in front of her house. Yeah. Right? Like to her, it was like, oh, why are they going to, why are they standing outside my house all the yeah. time smoking? I'm like, mom, are they smoking out there now? Well, no, but when they, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was just one of those things, right? Like, cause like your dad or your mom, mm-hmm. like they're told something. And I mean, shit. It was literally within the last five, six years that I learned more about this stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can't assume that anyone else should know, right? Because we don't. Yeah. Especially you know. people who maybe aren't as computer savvy. Yeah, right? <laughs> the like, younger generation. And, and who's going to be the least computer yeah. savvy? Yeah. 60 to 90, totally, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And the other issue, too, is um, have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? No, I haven't watched it yet. It's super interesting. So it basically talks about how. Um, the people who developed these different social media platforms, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, whatever, they like literally used the science of addiction to build them mm-hmm. so that they could keep people coming back, keep running ads, keep making money, knowing what effect this would have on mm-hmm. people, but doing it anyway. And I can't remember if it was this documentary or if it was Agents of Chaos that talked about the algorithms and mm-hmm. how it's... It, like just it creates this echo chamber and so because of the algorithms people are usually only seeing stuff that they already agree with yeah and so i think that that's and like i think that that's another huge issue especially Mm -hmm. for older demographics that are on social media and don't necessarily understand how it works so much and don't seek out those uh differing opinions yeah and so yeah because you could technically be on your feed and just get stuff you like all day yeah Yeah. totally totally yeah Yeah. and um yeah that's a really that's a really dangerous Mm -hmm. dangerous thing and i'll have my dad will sometimes like over the summer he's he's like how come antifa is like so violent i'm like they're like a he's like they're a violent group i'm like okay they're not a group (laughs) (laughs) but he but he's like getting this stuff from facebook Mm -hmm. i think that that isn't giving him the full picture of what's Mm -hmm. going on so he has this notion that 
like people who are against fascism are equally as violent and terrible as mm -hmm. these, you know, white yeah. supremacist groups. Because s some of the members might be. Yeah, for and sure. I, I'm like, sure there's there's yeah. gonna be violent people on all parts of the spectrum. Of course, but well, I, we've seen it. There's cops that are violent. Yeah, exactly. Right, but there's certain groups that have more of those yeah. than others. Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> right? Like. Yeah. And we're talking about white supremacist groups. The simple fact that they exist still is mm -hmm. a fucking problem, especially yeah. in North America, because we ha we we haven't treated them like they're terrorists, and they are terrorists. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? I yeah. I was just thinking about this the other day, actually, because we've been uh, looking. Uh, we were invited to take part in the public safety task force of mm -hmm. the city of Calgary, which is focused on. Uh, gun violence and gang violence. Mm -hmm. And um, I know there's going to be funding coming out for some uh, gang exit programming. Uh, I don't know, like, uh, the federal government hasn't released it yet, mm -hmm. I don't think, um, but it will be at some point. And I was thinking about, like, okay, there's, when you, for me anyway, when I hear the word gang, I automatically think of, like, people who are involved with drugs. Mm that's just the first thing that pops into my mind. Yeah. But when I think more about it, I'm like, those white supremacist organizations operate much like gangs. Mm -hmm. Like they should be considered part of that as well. Not just like our like immigrant youth maybe who are, mm -hmm. it, are involved in the shootings that are happening or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like there's, I think that the idea of a gang is a lot more broad. Mm -hmm than the stereotype yeah yeah i agree because i mean yeah. you've got you've got some people who would think that uh oh my god i can't believe i'm gonna bring this up because i haven't seen the whole video but it popped into my head this latest video with the gang suppression unit in the fire oh, and yeah. ice you've that seen one. that video yeah you haven't seen the video there's a girl gets they kicked out some guys i guess it, it's it's too bad. This is the same group that probably does a lot of good work, like the gang suppression, mm -hmm. if they're suppressing violence as opposed yeah. to inciting it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. which from that video, it just it was hard to. I mean, we didn't get the context for sure, mm -hmm. right? But the yeah. witness statements uh, saying that, you know, the girl was offering to pay for them, their drinks. Yeah, I think it was what it was about. Yeah. That, yeah. Again, I could be wrong, but yeah, yeah, and that and to be honest, like there's a lot of times where cops function like gangs too, but like a legalized gang. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. Huge problem. And I think it is more so what what I've seen. And again, I, I don't, I cannot claim to understand what it's like to be prejudiced or have someone, hmm. you know, um, hold things back from me because of what I look like. Like that's just not hasn't been my life, right? And yeah. Um, but. I see the gang mentality more present with the RCMP. Mm. It's just like, I don't, maybe it's because I'm, I'm more, I know more people who are CPS members and I know the actual humans versus what they do or whatever. Yeah. But the RCMP just seems so thuggish. Like, uh, and, and this gent here was out in, uh, out in Saskatchewan doing a, outside of the RCMP depot, right? Depot, right? Was yeah, it depot yeah. you were walking around doing video? Yeah, yeah. And the level of ignorance that the RCMP officers who approached him and talked to him, mm -hmm. they were all in plain clothes, first of all. So none of them in uniform. So they were basically just harassing him and he was filming it. And, and the one RCMP guy says, actually says the words, well, everyone in Canada is a potential terrorist. And those words were like, 
Holy shit. That's how you said it, right? Yeah, Something like that. Like yeah. That was, was outside the depot. Yeah. And it's on I'm video. I'm not surprised by that. I know, but I was like, that's yeah. why we don't trust you. Yeah. Is because we know you're like that. Yeah. We, we can feel it when you're on the highway. We can feel it. And I'm sure, I can't even imagine what an indigenous person feels when they see the RCMP. Yeah. I can't imagine. It would be terrifying, right? Totally, like, yeah. Because they have been able to act almost with impunity. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just see them as like a huge gang that needs to be fucking separated. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially, yeah. That, yeah. When we talk about abolition, like mm -hmm. obviously that's a process that would happen over time. But yeah. I do think like, and it'll be years down the road mm -hmm. where that's a possibility, but I do think that that is necessary. But knowing that you, like we would be rebuilding uh some other sort of system or whatever something to, else yeah. to make sure the community's safe yeah but we need a new system that's not yeah. based in that's like white supremacist racist in the trash basically yeah, yeah yeah and from what i've heard about uh police training it seems like that's very typical where they would uh basically brainwash you into mm -hmm. like assuming that everyone's a terrorist <laughs> right and that's not the opposite's true. Right. Like, the, like very rarely are you going to come across <laughs> yeah. a terrorist. I was actually laughing because uh, I saw that uh, Rebel Media had. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> they had essentially said that the Defund to Fund Coalition is a terrorist organization. <laughs> Which I laughed so hard because I was literally telling my friend the other day that I'm scared of guns. I'm like, I would be the worst terrorist ever. Yeah. Like I can't. Like I'm scared of guns. But don't 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 talk down to the words terrorists use as well. Compassion. Yeah. <laughs> understanding. Equity. Equity. Oh my God. Yeah. Terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. Ter yeah. I mean, if they saw me. I feel like they would think differently. They'd be yeah. like, yeah, I don't think you're a terrorist. You have the upper arm strength of a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've started to, I don't know what it is about. Well, actually, it's, it's Canadian government and the RCMP have, have allowed for this, this uh, switch and change to happen to me by simply being who they are, right? Like by simply being um, the moronic thugs that the RCMP are allows us to be able to go, whoa, who are the real terrorists in Canada, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. and, and I never, I, I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine and he used to be in like on the other side of the law way back when, not the police side, the other side. And uh, I said, you know, like the older I get, the more I understand about why there are outlaws. I just, mm. I never understood it until yeah. I started getting older and rubbing shoulders with outlaws and wondering, you know, there is something to that shit because at least they get to live their life and they don't have to follow stupid rules or yeah. pay attention to thugs with badges, right? Like, yeah, anyway, I get it. I, I understand. And I also understand why they label everybody a terrorist, <laughs> right? It's because as soon as someone says, oh, that Megan's a terrorist, nobody listens to Megan anymore, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, Megan, you, yeah. you have nothing of value to share with us because you're an enemy of the state, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally, yeah. That's so true. That's which, so true. Which is basically what that RCMP officer said to Darcy. Yeah. He said, yeah, until you prove otherwise, you're a threat to the state. And it's like, holy crap, that sounds an awful lot like a Nazi. 
Yeah, totally. Hey, like, yeah. when I thought it, I laughed when I heard it the first time. But then I was like, wait a minute, that's not fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you think like, about it, it's like, this is not an, yeah. like... Mm, this is not an okay. And you're saying that to a guy with a video camera in your face. Like, he's not surprising you with the video. He's like, you're on video. Yeah. He just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> right? Apparently. Yeah. But apparently, I mean, and the only thing I could see of that is he either doesn't give a fuck or he actually believes that. Mm-hmm. He actually believes that the three of us here could be terrorists. Yeah. Right? I think that a lot of... Not everyone. I think there are definitely some good people that go mm-hmm. into these types of jobs that want to make a difference. But unfortunately, the system is the way that it is. There's powers that be that control it, that don't allow those good people mm-hmm. to speak up or to make change happen. Um, I do actually think that the the current chief of police, I think he he means well. And I think he does I think too. he's yeah. he's and from other people that I've talked to as well, I think he's he's very progressive and I he gets it, but mm-hmm. his hands are very tied because the union is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, the province controls the police act and we all know the province doesn't give a fuck about racism. Oh yeah, we know <laughs> that. All. So, Jesus, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'm with you though. Like I, I think of, I think that's one of the reasons why I usually try to point out the RCMP is where I'm referring because mm. as far as I'm concerned with the seat with city police here is at least they're making an effort like, and the chief is making an effort. Mm-hmm. And I know that within the executive, um, there are some changes happening, right? Because I have some friends in there. And so I, I, I do feel hopeful for Calgary police service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, because so yeah. what you said though, like the, the chief is progressive. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't think there's a question about it. Yeah. But what is he going to be able to do at the end of the day? Yeah. Right? Yeah. He can add, he can advocate all yeah. he wants, which I think he has been. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I don't know how much we'll be able to get done because of yeah. the, the various powers that be and the controls that exist. So. Well, and this is what I tell people when they, when they go after the police, I'm like, well, you make sure you vote then. Mm-hmm. You go vote for politicians that don't want more police because they tell you mm-hmm. beforehand. They say, oh, yeah, I'm all about law and order, right? Because that's yeah. a big ticket for lots of people. Yeah. Lots of votes, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like you got to vote. You got to get out and, and make your voice heard because if we don't want the same shit to keep happening, well, we have to get our parents, once they're dead, we start voting instead of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. get out to the polls because I'm pretty sure that's how Biden won. Mm-hmm. The young people were like, no, fuck that Trump guy. We're out of yeah. here. Right? Yeah, that's so true. And I think that's going to be especially important for Alberta come mm. the next election. Like I, a lot, I've heard a lot of people say like NDP one and done, and I'm not necessarily an advocate for mm-hmm. any particular government Me because neither. like, I think they're, they all suck mm-hmm. <laughs> quite frankly. Um, I'm with you. Especially the ones that have the ability to win. Like it seems like no one wants to make any changes, yeah. but I do think that they're, the UCP is a definitely the greater evil and oh, yeah. I would way rather have anyone else yeah. in charge yeah. than them. I'd rather like have my worst enemy be the, the premier. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, because my worst enemy is not the bad of a guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm okay. That's totally, my worst yeah. enemy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
I probably, if I'm a terrorist, I probably have lots of like pretty yeah. scary enemies, I would imagine. So yeah. <laughs> I know I have so many enemies. It's like all my enemies keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah, as I plan, a, as I plan the next jihad. Yeah. That's another thing that would make me a really bad terrorist is I like to be friends with everyone. I know, me too. <laughs> and I don't like, I have, I have no time to condemn people. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause I mean, people condemn themselves anyway, but I, I'd rather be I'd rather be your friend. I'd rather just like love than to get into the other shit. Right? Totally, like, totally, yeah. Um, but in it, but love. I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but it's it's not like love is. Oh yeah, we were talking at the concert a couple of weeks ago. We did a podcast musical thing, and we were talking about that. Like love isn't always enough, but it's got to be the foundation where we come from. Because mm-hmm. if we come from that fear base, like we're just, we're going to keep doing the big guns and the big tanks yeah. and all that stuff. Cause that's what fear brings. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, totally. And I think it's important to remember that like every human is born an innocent baby. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as like a Bad murderous baby. baby. Yeah. So what's, what happens between then and mm-hmm. now that has changed this, very pure, innocent person into mm-hmm. someone who is hurting others. Yeah. There's things that happen along the way mm-hmm. that create that. And I think it's really important to remember that at the foundation, everyone is a human mm-hmm. being that was once that innocent yeah. child. Yeah. And no, I don't, I really don't think that anyone is truly evil or. Mm-hmm. Uh, unredeemable. I think everyone is redeemable. Everyone mm-hmm. has value. Um, and of course, you know, there's certain things that will always have to uh, receive some sort of punishment mm-hmm. if it's hurting someone else, but that doesn't mean that that person is not redeemable. Well, yeah. And I think, I think I saw this, uh, it's exactly what you're saying because it's like, well, just because someone steals doesn't mean they should die for it. Right? Yeah, like, totally. Or just because somebody does something doesn't mean they should get shot for it. Yeah. Right? Well, that, so I um, hosted a couple screenings of, uh, I'm, I know I'm going to say it wrong, but Nipa Wastamasuin, uh, mm-hmm. which is the documentary about Colton Bushy's Oh, death. okay. Yeah. Um, I hosted an outdoor screening in August, and then I actually just did a virtual one uh, a few weeks ago. And that was one of the things that stuck out to me. I saw the documentary at the Calgary International Film mm-hmm. Festival. Um, I think that was in, tw- would it have been 2019? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, because we went too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and as soon as I saw it, they, and they, after the film, they talked about like, what, like, it's a very frustrating film and mm. tragic film to watch. And you want to do something. And so afterwards they're saying, you know, like you can host these community screenings. I'm like, great, that's something I can do. And I was able to do it uh, as part of my job, which was awesome because that gave me like a really good uh, uh, platform Mm -hmm. to share it. Um, But one of the things that really struck me in that documentary was uh, Colton's girlfriend after Colton was shot and she was holding him in her arms, uh, the farm, Gerald Stanley's wife said to her, uh, that's what you get for trespassing. As she, this, she's basically a child holding her dead boyfriend in Other her child. arms. Other child, yeah. Yeah. And, and 
Sure, like when your adrenaline's rushing and you're in shock, sure, you might interpret something that someone says as diff in a different way and remember it differently. But I really don't think that there's anything that that woman could have said so differently from that, mm -hmm. that like, to me, that says intent right there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because you can have intent before the person gets there. Yeah, If totally. you're intending on shooting a trespasser, you're going to shoot a trespasser. Yeah. yeah. And I also think that there, you, like, everyone has biases. It's mm -hmm. impossible not to. And I have lots of family in Saskatchewan. Uh, a lot of them are really racist. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that, like, when you're, it's a split second where you're not really thinking consciously but that bias is going to come into play mm -hmm. and i 100 percent think that he saw an indigenous teenager and was scared of him because he's indigenous mm -hmm. uh even if he didn't consciously think that yeah. i 100 percent think that played a role um and that is a obviously a way bigger problem mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed and is not going to go away overnight yeah but to, I just, I was, I just couldn't believe that someone would say anything remotely like that's what you get for trespassing. Yeah. Like, like how dare you walk on my grass? Yeah. Like yeah. how heartless do you have to be? There's like a, like literally a dead body in front of you. Like, it's just, yeah, there's no, there's no excuse for it. Mm -hmm. It's I, oh, that case just, it, oh, it makes you sick. Eh? Yeah, it really does. And like yeah. a lot of my. I have a cop in my family and so you uh, hear the other side of it too. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, we don't really get along, so, <laughs> so we don't have a lot of conversations. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and it depends because, well, sometimes obviously bigots get into the job, they get on the job. Mm -hmm. There's no question about it. So then they exemplify what's already existing in that like uh, framework. Right. Yeah. The yeah. racism that's there, all you need is a nice, easy bigot, easy going bigot to like eh, vomit all that shit up. Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I like, I see what my family members are saying and a mm -hmm. lot, and like my mom actually is from North Battleford. She grew up in North mm -hmm. Battleford, which is where that the like court case and stuff took yeah. place. And I still have family that live there and they like vehemently um, disagree with with my take on it, mm -hmm. but like, that's okay. so be it. Like yeah. I, like you don't deserve the death sentence for trespassing or breaking into a car. Yeah. Like it's, I had a SWAT guy on my lawn, yeah. on my lawn. I didn't lose my shit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I know it's different. Yeah. The, the, but, he, he was trespassing. Yeah. Technically. Yeah, you didn't shoot him. <laughs> Probably cause I'm afraid of guns. So I don't have that's one. a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but still, you didn't. Did you go outside and start yelling at him to get off your lawn? No, no, no. because well, first of all, there's a big guy with a gun. Why yeah. would you yell at him anyway? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but seriously, it's it's a lawn, right? Like, I mean, it's kind yeah. of like, um, what did what did this guy say in our alley? He was trying to control behind our building. There's an alley, and we go out there all the time. And somebody was yelling at somebody about controlling the alley. And I just started laughing and he goes, what are you laughing? And I'm like, dude, it's a fucking alley. Cause he was getting so worked up and, 
and I'm like, dude, you, like, you okay? And he's like, oh, I just get tired of people parking. And I'm like, parking. <laughs> I said, you're talking about parking, right? And he goes, yeah, because it's a fucking nuisance. And I'm like, but it's parking. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I remember when I was younger, I would get worked up about fucking everything, right? Like, oh, someone's parked in my spot. Fuck you. Now it's like, well, I'll park somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think part of it is like people just being bored and like mm. needing something to complain about. But yeah. also uh, I think there is like some level of like, like, I don't know. I, I think that depression can come off as irritability and anger in oh, a yeah. lot of people, especially men, yeah. uh, because that's how mine comes off. Yeah. Well, cause you know, you're supposed yeah. to be tough. Like you're not supposed to like be sad. So naturally like it's going to come out as anger instead. Yeah. Um, and I, I do try like even the people who do the worst of the worst. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I try, I do try to have some level of understanding from where they mm-hmm. come from. Even people that like, I really don't want to like, mm. like neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Yeah. I really don't. But I do think that if things are going to improve and minds are going to change, mm-hmm. there's got to be some, someone who is willing to look at the root yeah. of the issue. And I think that kind of thing all comes down to sense of belonging, mm-hmm. which is something I talk about a lot mm-hmm. uh, with my work. Um, is that that is such a critical component of crime prevention yeah. is sense of belonging. Um, and I, th- I think that that also probably plays a part in uh, the perpetuation of crime in uh, amongst people who are racialized mm-hmm. um, because they are like, if they, what's a good example of this? Um, say there's a youth who is a racialized youth and he's, you know, he's a kid, he's not doing anything bad, but because the cops are always like targeting him and, uh, like carting him and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're always in his neighborhood and that sort of thing. So it's giving him this idea that he doesn't belong Mm -hmm. here. This place isn't for him. Uh, he's already seen as a criminal. So why not? Like this, this, this community doesn't care about him. So why should he mm-hmm. feel any sense of responsibility to that community? And obviously that's like a very <coughs> generalization and simplification. Yeah. But yeah. I do think that that, that, that sense of belonging component is huge. And that goes the same for people that get involved in these like mm-hmm. really awful ideologies that are uh, promoting white supremacy and mm-hmm. anti-immigration and all that sort of thing. It's, or, or any of those ideologies, right? Yeah. That go, goes against other humans. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think it is just, it comes down to like, they don't feel like they belong anywhere else. Mm. I, I think that's an important point. And <coughs> I don't even think of that all the time, but like when I think of addiction, you do, you think of lack of connection mm-hmm. uh, and trauma, of course, mm-hmm. and, uh, unless you're some doctors, you don't believe in, yeah. <laughs> you don't believe in trauma. It has no part in this. Like it doesn't play a role in this. Okay. Just shut the fuck up, Dave. Um, <laughs> But now I can't remember what I was going to say, of course. Mm. And connection. Yeah. So this lack of connection, lack of acceptance, like lack of belonging, right? Mm -hmm. Of course it affects addiction and other mental health. So of course it's going to affect like where people go to hang, who they hang out with, like how, how they see themselves in that group. Right. Because if you go into a group and I've heard this, I, I, 
I can't say that I was very forgiving of this individual when I met him and when I had to deal with him because he was a fucking asshole and he was in the middle of his white supremacist stuff. Mm. So I'll just call it like it is. He was a fucking asshole. Like there's no question, nothing redeeming about anything about him, to be honest. I had to work really hard like to find anything that was there. But what you said, it makes a lot of sense because that was something I noticed right away. Yeah. Right? Was he, when he was around his buddies or whatever, he belonged. But when he was alone, he was a scared little kid. And that's what I could see. And Mm. that's what I was trying to get at. Because you bring about that point, it's the same for addictions. It's the same for, uh, probably similar with mental health, where there was no belonging. You were alone. You were maybe abandoned, like by your neighborhood, by your family, mm-hmm. by your friends, whatever it was. It, it's so, it seems so reasonable to go there, right? And to group up because as humans, we like to be together. We, yeah. And I, we did this experiment, my buddy and I, what well, we used to when we go to movies, we would go early to like a movie that had been out for a while and we'd sit at the back of the theater and we'd take bets on how long it would take for people to start sitting next to us. Oh. Right? <laughs> and yeah, and like, and well, bets. We were betting, but it was more like, for fun, <coughs> right? Like, how long do you think it'll be before someone sits next to you? And I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm always the first. Right? <laughs> they come, for some reason, they think I'm a nice person. I don't know why, because as they walk closer to me, I'm not giving them the nice eye, right? I'm like, what are you doing? But of course, they come sit right next to you, and they come sit next to him, and then in front, and then in front, and then slowly it goes outward, mm-hmm. right? And, and at first, I thought, man, we are really fucking lame. Humans are lame. We're so scared to be alone. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. They just want to be close to people. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I, I take things personally until I realize it's not about me. <laughs> then, then I could be like, oh, I mean, it still gets me frustrated. Don't get me wrong. Because when I go to a movie that's been out for almost a year, I don't expect to see anybody else. And if there yeah. is, you're not sitting right next to me, fuck. <laughs> so would they sit like right next to you? Yeah. Like, in an <laughs> empty theater. Oh, that's very odd. Like, they'd come up like this. They would do this thing and they'd be like, there's so all these weird. seats and they'd just be like. <laughs> that is so strange. <laughs> and then they would, and then of course they would look at my face and be like, maybe we should move the chair away. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> right? It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it never fails. We would go and we'd go like at Christmas time when there's nobody in the theaters, right? And of course, like, like think, all around like a half moon. I think that must be a you thing because I go to tons of movies mm-hmm. with my mom and a lot of the times it'll be like a fairly empty theater. Uh, but the only times that people ever sat next to us were when there was nowhere else to sit. Really? Hey. Yeah. Yeah. But so, me too. I really? Have any <laughs> I, you know, and that's funny cause I kind of assume people do cause I don't, I never think I'm special really when it comes to that stuff because humans are humans. Right. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's because people actually sense that I'm okay. Yeah. You must give off some sort of vibe, like a comfort vibe or something like that. Which is weird because yeah. my eyes are not telling that same story. Like, <laughs> like I can feel them go like me. this. I can feel my eyes narrow and I'm like that. And they'll still just sit there like. <laughs> <laughs> I think some people do give off those vibes though, that they're, that, you know, you're not non-threatening, mm. um, welcoming. I know I think you're right and I think well obviously because that doesn't happen to you guys and it's and now I'm probably (laughs) gonna have to ask Dom if it ever happens to him when he's alone because I mean maybe it is the fact that (laughs) like I spend most of my day hugging people and giving them hugs yeah yeah (laughs) it's funny because my my mom is she always seems to attract people to her that want to tell their life story to her (laughs) 
And she, I think she also has one of those things that's just like, people feel like they teaching. can, oh yeah, they can just open right up yeah. to her. Yeah, <laughs> and she doesn't, totally. She doesn't necessarily like invite it in, but she doesn't, you know, turn them down either. But that's the thing. Yeah. If it, we have to physically turn them down to stop them. Yeah. Because if we just like quietly acquiesce, they just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love talking to people and I love hearing mm. people's stories. And so anytime, well, of like... Of course I do too. Yeah, anytime someone comes around, I'm like, yep, lay it all on me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, the only time I notice it is in the theater because it's like we, we literally try to do it mm-hmm. and get ourselves in the best spots that nobody will want to sit next to us. Like, we'll sit in the fucking back corner. Yeah. People be coming <laughs> in, like, have, they hem us in the corner and then it's like, dude, how the fuck did this happen? <laughs> You know, now I realize they just want me to touch their heads. Mm. <laughs> Guy gets arrested for touching heads in a theater. <laughs> we said heads. Okay, so now we've completely gone off yeah. the rails. <laughs> is there uh, is there is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, this has been awesome. I think it's been awesome. So yeah. Um, uh. I guess I would just say for like for anyone that's uh, confused or apprehensive about what's going on in Calgary right now Mm. um, in terms of crime prevention and policing and all that sort of thing, I would urge people to do research um, into evidence-based practices Mm -hmm. because like they by addressing those root causes Mm -hmm. uh which include things like i mentioned like affordable housing Mm -hmm. uh uh like income support employment opportunities education all that like counseling uh trauma-informed care Mm -hmm. all that sort of addiction treatment um it'll be cheaper than just reacting to crime because the way our system is right now, it's very rare that cops are actually preventing crime from mm-hmm. happening in the first place. They're reacting to crimes that have already been committed. Yeah. And you can tell by the call volume, right? Yeah, yeah. And I also today I read a statistic that only I think I it, I can't remember what year it was. It might have been 2019 or 2018, but only uh, 45% of crimes were solved mm-hmm. violent crimes were solved yeah so the track record isn't even great on that mm-hmm. um and and no like nothing against the people who are working mm-hmm. on those crimes it's just that's just the, the those fact. are hard things to solve yes exactly but if we could stop those things from happening in the first place mm-hmm. which we can if we have a society that cares about individuals yeah uh, it has to be more about the money. It can't be just about the money. It can't mm-hmm. be, it just can't be. Yeah. Like if we are going to claim to be a society that cares about humans, humans, it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. to fund these social issues and not rely so much on law enforcement mm-hmm. and just assuming that people are bad and people are criminals mm-hmm. and they can't change. Yeah. Uh, it'll be better for literally everyone. Yeah. Like, I'm not directly affected by police brutality or homelessness or poverty. I'm very lucky, but I I want all of my fellow Calgarians to have the same luck that mm. I've had. 
I want them to have the same opportunities, the same quality of life, like Mm -hmm. not have to worry about their kids or their parents or their siblings Mm -hmm. or their friends. Uh, It it just, it's 2020, Mm -hmm. it's almost 2021. Like we need to be looking after each other. Enough of this, like, you know, every man for himself. I don't like that. <laughs> well, it, but you can see like down south for the last four years, it's been every man for themselves. Yeah. Because you've had the leader who's every man for himself. He's like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, I just want to do what I want to do. Right? Yeah. And I, and I don't care like who you vote for, where you mm-hmm. land on the political spectrum. Like when it all comes down to it, like we need to be looking after each other. Yeah. We need to be helping out the people who are, less fortunate and don't have mm-hmm. that there's there's just there's a, such a gap when it comes to equality and equity yeah. in this city which is crazy because we have so much money in the city mm-hmm. uh even with the recession like this should not be happening yeah it certainly it certainly doesn't have to yeah yeah so i, I would just yeah i would just urge people don't don't write don't write off the defund movement mm-hmm. uh there's really good uh, research and evidence behind the alternatives mm-hmm. and it will be better for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I, I think even for the police, it'll be better for them. A hundred percent. Like, yeah. I, I just think like, I think the world of the humans in this city and in this province that actually do the work, right? Like mm-hmm. yourself, like, um, going and, and just getting involved in the actual work. One of the things that jumped out at me is, is just the reliance on government. Right. And I think, takes me back when I was a young social worker. Yeah, but not for the government. I never worked for the government, not as a social worker. Um, Cause it just felt wrong. Like it always felt wrong. Like some of my colleagues were going and joining child and family services and other branches of the government. And I was like, mm, it just feels wrong, right? Like, and it's not because the government's all bad. It's not what I mean. I mean, this present government's not great, but, <laughs> um, but it's not all bad, of course. They do some good stuff. Um, but the reliance on the government to help us is a fucking problem, mm-hmm. right? Because it really what comes down to, it's always come down to this. Humans helping humans, right? Like humans on the street helping humans on the street. Mm-hmm. doesn't come down to someone in a, a government building saying, yo, we're going to do all this for all the, good, the people who are struggling. You don't even know what struggle looks like, yeah. right? Like, so bring it to the people who are, who are in the street doing the work. Um, and thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a part of the defund to fund, right? I, I truly, truly believe in it. And there's so many people that are on this coalition Mm -hmm. that are incredibly smart, resilient, and they know what they're talking about. And so I'm, I'm really, I feel very fortunate, um, that I'm able to be part of it, Mm -hmm. especially being white. I like, you know, I don't have that same lived experience. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of, I'm just happy to be able to support uh, it should bring a different perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mm. uh, som- sometimes I am referred to as the white whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, get her to talk to the white people. They'll understand her. <laughs> Speak their language. Yeah. But yeah, it's just been, it's been really cool um, and just like very eye-opening to mm-hmm. hear people uh, open up about the stuff that they've experienced, stuff that I never experienced. Mm. Uh, growing up, none of my friends experienced that stuff and my friends were pretty much all white. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm really grateful to them for putting themselves out there and for, for allowing me to be a part of it too. So 
Um, yeah, I guess I would just say like uh, if people are interested in signing the petition, uh, you could just go to the Project Calgary website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's also lots more information on there about, okay. uh, that goes more into the details of like what defunding looks like, what does it really mean and mm. all the stuff we're working on and whatnot. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's our pleasure.